on communion days, we don't have the testimony time. Um, and so generally I get up a little bit faster. But today we didn't have the, the traditional Bible reading as well. And uh, so it's even sooner. And the reason is for that is we have a lot of Bible reading that we want to do during the message. And so um, I confiscated, if you would, the Bible reading time. <laughs> to be a part of the, the message time. So that means that more than likely, this is what? A little bit longer than normal. But I do want to tell you that I was really burdened, and you'll note on, this, on your uh, bulletin that this is part one. Okay? And so uh, there was so much that I just kept going, man, I just don't know. And so, so I split it. Um, and uh, Lord willing, and by God's grace, we'll, we'll um, continue this next week. But... From the beginning of the year, we have been looking at, focusing on the Christ. We spent the first so many months looking at the shadow of Christ from the Old Testament, leading up to his, his coming and to his life. And then um, a couple months ago, we began looking at the life of Christ. And in looking at the life of Christ, we began looking at his birth and then his youth. And then we have been, the last couple weeks, looking at his ministry, beginning with his preparation, the baptism, and, the, and his fasting, his proclamation, that is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Two weeks ago, we looked at his power over, um, over nature itself and over demons and over disease and over death and, and over sin and, and such. And last week, we, we crammed a lot into his parables. And I was asked already this week, um, are we going to go through them more in detail? And, and my answer was, no, <laughs> we're not. Um, maybe later. Um, so if, if as we go through these things, you know, if there are things that you'd like to expound on further down the road, um, please let me know. And I failed to mention, Jessica told me ahead of time so she didn't have to give me the sign. Jessica is in a nursery, so if you'd like to um, use a nursery, it is back there. And we do have it on channel one, so that if, if she remembered to turn it on, you can tell them they can hear in there as well. So anyways, um, so this week we want to slide into his passion. His passion. And uh, again, we're going to um, break this into two parts, the passion of Christ into two parts. And then, Lord willing, after that, we will look at his pattern, the pattern of his ministry and the promises of his ministry as well. But for today, we want to look at his passion, the passion of Christ. And we want to begin off with talking about what is a passion. Well, a passion is a strong, powerful emotion. It's something that will control you. So your passion, that which you are strongly emotional about, will ultimately affect your priorities in your decision making. Does that make sense? Okay. And so the question that I'm asking here then is, what was Christ's passion? He was a man such as we are, yes? He was fully God, but yet he was fully man. And so Christ, the man, if you would, had passions just like we do. Now, honestly, this is an aside, you know, but I think that man is made in the what? Image and likeness of God. And so I think God himself has passions. Okay, and so I don't think it's just because he was a man that he had passion, but I think God as well has passion, okay, um, as well. But what do we see in the Word of God? Well, there are going to be two primary passions that we're going to look at today, the first, and then Lord willing again next week, the second of the passion, and I think that they are related. First of all, we see that Christ had a passion for, for God, okay? And what I want to do first is I want to look at some of these illustrations in the Word of God regarding his passion for God, okay, for Christ's passion for God. And then I want to apply that, look at the application side of that and how it applies to our life, because really that is the, that's really the key. I mean, so many times, you know, we go and we, we read and, and, and we study doctrine and, and we gain knowledge, but we're told in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so the important thing about reading the Word of God and learning it is not just having more data points and so that we're, we're smarter than everybody else, but rather that we become more like the disciples of Christ, or become disciples of Christ, which means we become more like the Master, more like Christ, which means that we're applying the knowledge that we gain. Does that make sense? So I want to make sure that we never fail to do that as well. But today, we want to look at some of these verses. Now, I want you to turn, you can see up here, Luke, but I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, I mean, I know that Deuteronomy is, is, is where you expected to go today when we're talking about the passions of Christ. But we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, And so, if you just turn to Deuteronomy, I've got all the non-Deuteronomy passages on the screen. You can go there if you want to, but I have them up there um, for us as well. Um, Christ's passion for God. In Luke 2, we talked about this um, 
probably two months ago or so, when we talked about the youth of Christ, okay? Um, that as a youth, there's hardly anything written about Jesus except for this passage. But coming from this passage, that, that what we glean about Jesus was that from his childhood, from his youth, and this would be around when he's 12 years old, when, um, when he's going there, that he had an idea and a purpose in his life that he was going to serve God. And so we read, now it was so after three days that they, that is Mary and Joseph, found him, that is Jesus, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Remember, they were missing him. They'd gone down for, for Passover, and they were going back, and all of a sudden, a day's journey in, they found out they are missing God in the flesh, you know, the one that they were supposed to be watching over. And so they go, and they find him in the temple, verse 47, um, or I'm sorry, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them the question. And then verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must, remember we talked about that word must, that, I mean, it was, it's compulsion. I must be about my father's things. Business there, but in the Greek, it's just my father's stuff, my father's things. The things that my father is about, those are the things that I must be about. Okay? And so, as a youth, he tells them, he says, Looky, I don't know why you were seeking me. You should have come straight to the temple. You should have gone straight to where my father was at work, because that's where you will what? find me. And so again, you teenagers, this is talking to you all, and you, you children, okay, if mom and dad were looking for you, honestly, would they find you in your room reading the Bible? Mom, dad, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I needed to be about God's stuff? I mean, I'd be over the neighbors witnessing for Jesus Christ. I'd be in the room studying God's word. I'd, I'd be, you know, whatever. But more than likely, that's probably not the place that we'd, we'd go looking for them, right? And so we'd like to think that that's the place that I'd be, the first place I'd be looking for them, okay? Well, Jesus doesn't change because he goes on in his ministry now. When his ministry chain, uh, goes into the official capacity, in John 5, verse 30, we read Jesus talking to the crowd saying, I can't of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous or just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. The point is, I don't want what's going on in my life. I, it's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about my Father. And whatever my Father's desires, that's what I desire. That's what my passion is. My passion is to serve, serve my Father and to do His will. In John 4 is the passage about the, um, the woman at the well. He goes to Sychar, the Samaritan woman. You're familiar with that passage? He goes into the area of Samaria, into the town of Sychar. And um, as he goes there, he sees the woman at the well. And so he approaches this woman and begins to speak to her, okay? And, and so he says, you know, go, where's your husband at? And she says, well, I, ha- I don't have a husband. He says, you're, you're correct in saying that. Actually, you've had five, and the man that you're staying with now is not your husband. And she goes, wow, this guy's a prophet, you know? And so this is the, the, the passage where she says, you, you Jews say you've got to worship there. Our fathers say we worship here. Jesus says the time is coming whether you will neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but the time is coming when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay. Well, at the end of that passage we read, beginning in verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be Messiah, Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabboni, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know of. And they're thinking, what? Did somebody else go to McDonald's before we did? I mean, who brought him the burger? Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him food, anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food, my sustenance, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they already are white for harvest. He says, looky, you guys are all about the belly. Something interesting happens about an hour from now. Okay, Normally, I'm not up here speaking at this point, so I'd say 45 minutes from now. But all your clocks start going off. Okay? 
grumbles start to happen. Some, it may start happening earlier. It depends on whether you had breakfast this morning or how big the breakfast was or whatever, okay? Usually, if I don't have breakfast, I'm okay. I usually don't grumble. Isn't that funny? But when I do have something, something small to eat, it gets my processes starting. And so, you know, but now, see, I get the benefit because I'm preaching and I'm involved, man. I'm just, I'm in this thing. And so I'm not sitting there thinking about other things. I'm just thinking about this and that kind of stuff. But I know when I'm sitting here and Ben's speaking or Steve's speaking or something like else, I know how it is, you know, or somewhere between 1130 and 12 o'clock, all of a sudden the, the, your clock begins, you know, inside your body and it starts to do what? And you're thinking what? Will this guy never finish? Now, I know that if I talked to you on a normal basis, you would never admit the fact that you want physical food more than you want heavenly food. Because you want the things of God. But so many times, honestly, let's be honest, you have a moment, and you can go get a snack from God's Word, or you can go get a snack from the kitchen. More than, like, which, more than likely, which way down the hall will you turn? To the kitchen? Or to the kitchen, yeah. I like you, Andrew. You're honest, anyway. We're going to go to the kitchen. We're not going to go to the Bible, or to the Word, or to the den, or wherever that's going to be. We normally head to the, to the kitchen to get a snack. Okay? Jesus says, I've got food to eat, which you haven't got a clue of. And they automatically think what? Somebody brought him some food. Where did he get the food from? It wasn't about physical food, was it? What's the food? What's the, what is that thing that drives him? His passion. Serving God. Doing the will of God. God had an appointment for him in Sychar. <coughs> by the well. Do you get it? This woman's eternal soul was a whole lot more important than a Big Mac. Yes? But how many times is it that we miss the opportunity because we're more worried about the Big Mac? Now, I know it may be a Burger King burger instead, but whatever it is, you get the point. Our physical needs, so many times, are more important, have a greater passion to us than the passion we have for the things of God. Jesus said his passion was for the things of the Father. In Luke 22, when Jesus was, was getting ready to, um, to be crucified and to, um, to give his life as a sacrifice, in verse 13, we read about as they sat down for the, for the Passover celebration, which we're going to have a remembrance of here in a little bit. It says, beginning verse 13, Luke 22 says, So when they, they went out and they found it just as he had said to them, that is the place to prepare the the Passover, and they prepared it. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. If you knew what was going to come tomorrow, would you be looking forward to the covered dish dinner today? No. You'd be wanting time to do what? <coughs> We'd be prepared for tomorrow, but you want time to drag. I am not yearning to have this meal. <laughs> Get it? I hope this meal takes a long time to come here. Because I know what this meal signifies. This is the beginning of the end. Or is it the beginning of a new beginning? It all depends how you look at it, right? Yeah. But we don't think of it that way. You know, we always talk about, what if you knew you had five days to live? What would you do? You know, this is kind of the concept. Well, Jesus knew it. When Jesus was born, from the time he said, when he was a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, and he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know anything about my father's business? I think he knew. He knew how much time he had on the earth. He understood the importance of his life that was here. And so he says to them, with fervent desire, I have desired. Do you hear passion in there? Do you feel strong emotions from Jesus' statement? What do you think he was talking about that he was desiring? Just to have a meal with him? With fervent desire, I've desired to have this Passover with you. I really love lamb. 
And I really love matzah. And I really love the, the, the Hava Nagila and the, the Dayu songs and all that kind of stuff. And I really enjoy Passover time. So, man, you know, I was really looking forward to this time. No. Jesus looked forward to this moment because he understood what this moment signified. This was going to be this celebration that we're getting ready to celebrate in about 40 minutes. Jesus was getting ready to establish this. He was getting ready to tell them that the bread that was broken was symbolic of his body. That the, that the juice that they were about to drink was symbolic of the blood that he was going to shed for them. That he was going to be the redemption for their sins. And he said with great desire, with fervent passion, if you would, I have looked forward to offering my body as a sacrifice for you. And yet, we read later in Luke 22, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even though he had this great ardent passion and desire to serve God and to do the Father's will and to be the the propitiation, the the redemption price that we needed, yet there was that part on the man's side that what? I'm not looking forward to the what? To the pain. Look at I'm looking forward to being in heaven. I yearn. I'm looking forward to the time when I see him face to face. I'm just not looking forward to the process of getting there (laughs) man i'm hoping for the rapture (laughs) the change you know i don't have to have to worry about that that process but you know for thousands of years believers have gone through the what the process and i'm sure that they have yearned for what the rapture too (laughs) but the end result's still the same isn't it they got to see their savior face to face Jesus, being true God, is yet true man. And he says, it is my great passion and desire to serve the living God. Even to the point where, think about it, he says, look, I know what's getting ready to happen, and I don't want it. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. The passion I have for you so outweighs the passion I have for me. Even though I don't want to face what's going to happen here, I want to face it because it's your plan and it's your will. Now, this is all kind of neat because Jesus' passion is consistent with what he declared to be the great commandment. Do you remember Matthew 22? Jesus was teaching one day and um, someone came up to him to, to test him, a lawyer. It says, ask him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, I love this because when, I'm, when I do a one, and I didn't do a one conferences this year because I felt like I needed a break um, to, to spend more time focusing. But in the one conference, I teach um, from this a lot. And I always ask people, I start off my, 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 my time with, if I was to ask you which is the most important passage in the entire Bible, what would you tell me? And so this is up there, okay? So don't use that. Don't, don't say, oh, it's a cheat sheet. You know, it's up there. If I, if, I just, if I said to you, what was the most important passage in the entire Bible, what would you tell me? John 3.16. I get that all the time. And I'd say, that's a good passage, but no, that's not right. And people look at me like, oh, this guy's a heretic, you know? No, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, is a great passage, but it's not the most important passage in the entire Bible. Somebody else? Good, Aunt Andrew. Acts 16.31. What does Acts 16.31 say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That is a great verse, but nope, that's not the most important either. Deuteronomy 6. That's right, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And people say, huh? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5? How do you get Deuteronomy 6, verse 5? Well, Jesus, when he was asked... What's the greatest commandment in the law? He didn't say, man, you know, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament, and you want me to pick one? One? Sometimes we act like that too, huh? Just give me one. <laughs> I know there's 613, but give me one. Maybe I can succeed at one. 
And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And that is found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. It's called the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your minds. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, and whether you're sitting up. You shall put them as a sign upon your hands, you shall put them as a front between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment in the entire law. That was the basis, if you would then, of his passion. Do you get it? He understood what the greatest commandment was, and he applied it. Now, what about us? What about us? We are also then to have a passion for for God. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love God with all you are. You ought to have a passion for God, a passion for who he is. Well, how does it work out? First of all, it's revealed in our passion for his word. As I just quoted in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, you can turn there and look at it. Moses is on the east side of the Jordan River. The children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. He's ready to capsulize all of his teaching for all these 40 years. And he brings it to him and he says, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, Elohenu, Elonai, Elohenu, Echad. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one. Yahweh our God is one God. And based upon that fact, you should what? Love him. Love him with all you are. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And if you really love him, if you know that he is God, and he is the one true God, and that you love him with all you are, then what will you do? The words which I teach you this day, you'll hide in your hearts. And if you really believe that he's the one true God and there is no other God and you love him with all that you are and you're hiding his word in your heart, do you know what's going to happen? It's going to exude out in everything you do. You're going to teach it to your children diligently. No matter where you are, whether you're in your house or whether you're walking away, no matter what time of the day it is, whether you're lying down or whether you're sitting up. See, those are called mirrorisms in the English language. We refer to mirrorisms. Mirrorisms are when we talk about two extremes to represent everything in between. And so, whether you're in the house or whether you're walking away, no matter where you're at, whether you're lying down, nighttime, or whether you're rising up, because remember, the Jewish day goes from evening and morning the first day. So whether you're lying down, that's the beginning of the day, or whether you're rising, sitting up, that's the, the daytime part. So no matter what time of the day it is, you ought to be communicating God's word to your kids, right? And then he goes on, he says, and then you're going to model it in your life. It's going to exude in everything you do. It's going to be tied to your hand. It's going to be tied to your head. It's going to be tied to your home. Everything you do, it's going to be a sign on your hand. Everything you put your hand to, you're going to seek to have governed and blessed by the Word of God. Everything you think about, everything you look upon, is going to be governed and blessed by the Word of God. Everything that goes on in your home, that's your doorpost, and on your property, that's your gate, is going to be governed and blessed by the Word of God. He says, if you have a passion for God, it will be revealed in your passion for his word. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts. Now, when he was on the east side of the Jordan River, and he had 1.6 million people, who do you think he was talking to? He was talking to the men. It was a patriarchal society. Nothing personal, ladies, but the moms were back with the kids in the tent. And so men, men, this is to you. Are you that much in love with having a passion for the one true God that you ardently, earnestly, fervently desire to hide his word in your hearts? so that you can communicate it to your kids no matter where you're at and that you can live it out in everything you do. And that it can be reflective in your house. Not that when I walk in your house, you get the Ten Commandments here and you have the, the Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So that when I walk in, I understand, oh, this must be a Christian home. I challenge you, get rid of them. 
Take everything down that says anything that you being a Christian and let people walk away knowing that you are a follower of Christ. Which is better? That they read a bunch of plaques or that you salt your life with the word of God? It's revealed in our passion for his word. In John 15, it's consistent. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Okay? Jesus said that. Based upon the passage, what's the definition of his disciple? So you will be my disciples. What's a true disciple of Jesus Christ? One who's abiding in his word and producing fruit. John, um, in John 8, 31, 32, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus gave the parable, last week we talked about the parables of the sower and the seed, and he said that you know the, the, the sower went out to sow the seed, and some of the seed fell upon the, 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 the walkway, the hard soil, and the birds of the air came, and they plucked it up, ate it up, and some of it fell in one rocky soil, so that it, it took root quickly, but had no place for, for roots, and so the, the sun came out and scorched it, and it died away. And some of it fell upon the thorny soil, and it grew, but then the thorns grew up around it and choked it out. But some of it fell upon the good soil, and it grew, and some of it produced 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some... A hundredfold. The idea is that it did what? It produced fruit. And the debate always is, is who are the believers in that passage? It's the good soil. Because they produced fruit. This is my Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit. In Galatians 5, we read the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are walking in the flesh are walking in darkness. 1 John chapter 1 tells me that if we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we what? We lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Are you abiding in his word? Do you delight in his word? 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about a newborn child. and says that um, as a newborn child desires a pure, pure milk, that, that we will be like newborn children. We will desire the pure milk of God's word that we may grow thereby, if so be we have tasted of the grace or the graciousness of God. If you are born again, if you've tasted of the grace of God, you will have a desire for God's word. If you have a passion for God, you will have a passion for his word. Does that, am, I, am I kicking the dead horse here? Okay. Okay. And so, do you have a passion for God's word? Secondly, it's going to be revealed in our passion for his work. So there in Deuteronomy, let's turn to Deuteronomy 11. A passion for his work. Now, this is interesting. We're told that in this passion that we have for him, that we're supposed to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our strength, right? Well, he starts off um, this 11th chapter, and I understand Moses was not declaring, okay, chapter 11. He's just, he's preaching, okay? And, and this is now written down, and this is what we have as recorded as the beginning of chapter 11. But verse 1, he, he, so he's, think about this, throughout the context of his message to them, he's continually bringing back this theme. He says, therefore you shall love the Lord your God, and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children. Now, isn't this interesting? He's telling them, I'm not speaking to the kids. Who am I speaking to? The fathers. I'm speaking to you guys. I'm speaking to you parents, if you want to take it out further. I'm speaking to the adults here. Whose fault is it if the faith doesn't get passed down? The adults. The parents, more specifically, the dad. Ouch. Okay? I fit all three categories. 
Well, some would debate the adulthood side. But anyways, <laughs> age-wise, I, I meet it. Okay? So he goes on, he says, I'm not speaking to the children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how Yahweh has destroyed them to this day. Isn't that something? What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession, and in the midst of all of Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of Yahweh, which he did. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which Yahweh your God cares. The eyes of Yahweh your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey, literally it says, if hearing you hear, if heeding you heed, if you earnestly obey my commands, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. Look what he says. We already know from Deuteronomy 6 that Moses says the greatest thing is to do what? To know there's one true God and to love him and to hide his word in your heart, right? And then live it out. But then he comes back and says, now I'm telling you, you ought to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With all that you are. And then he goes on and explains why. We'll come back to that in a little bit later, okay? Explains why. You've seen all this stuff. I'm not talking to the kids who haven't seen it. I'm talking to you. You've seen it. You ought to commit this to your kids. Tell them what God has done for you, right? And so therefore, you ought to what? Down, drop down to verse 13. That you earnestly obey his commands. If you really love him, if you really love God with all your heart and with all you are, what are you going to want to do? You're going to obey him and you're going to serve him. You're going to, be, you're going to have a passion for his, his work. If you have a passion for God, it's not only going to be revealed in a passion for his word, but it's going to be a passion for what he's asked you to do for his work. What were the commands? The statutes the precepts, the law that he gave them. They were works, were they not? Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 8, says, By faith we are saved through grace, and that not of ourself. It is a what? It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And we stop there, but verse 10 says what? What does verse 10 say? Oh, come on now. For we are what? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So I'm not saved by my works. Do you get it? But God has saved me unto good works. God desires for me to be desirous of his, his stuff, his business. Remember Jesus said, didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? God says, looky, if you really love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, then you're going to want to obey me. Doesn't Jesus say that? He who loves me is the one who what? Obeys me. And he who doesn't love me doesn't keep my commandments. All he's doing is quoting God. Well, actually, he's quoting himself. I think Jesus is Yahweh. And so I think this is actually Jesus speaking to Israel here. Okay, And so he kind of knew what he already said. And so he's being consistent in his teaching. right? And so he says to Israel, what? 
If you love me, you're going to obey me. You're going to be involved in my works. You're going to desire to serve me. I heard a preacher, and I'm going to give his name because I, I just, I, I heard it with my own two ears. It was John Piper. Some people are lovers of John Piper. I, when, I, when I hear things, sometimes it just puts me on guard. And I literally heard him. I sat there, and I looked around. And you, you talk about the, the, you know, when people hear a delusion, and you kind of look around. And you think, literally, we're going to see a passage in a moment. Or no, we're going to see it next week. Um, when, when, when he talked about um, serving, let me make sure if I'm going to, we're going to do it now or later. That's going to be next week. Um, where Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Do you remember that passage? He didn't quote all of it. He didn't do the rest of the passage. He just quoted that verse. He said, look, God doesn't want you to serve him. The Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve. God wants to serve you. And then he went into this Christian hedonism stuff. And, and the whole message was on, was on how God wants to serve you and God wants to, to meet your desires and, and meet your needs and, and all that kind of stuff. And he quoted one verse and he just went off. I heard it. I was there. And I'm thinking... What is the passage? Come on, class. What is the context of the passage? What you should be like. Hey, I'm setting you an example. You're, ought to, you're supposed to what? Seek to serve others. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're not supposed to serve. In fact, God says what? If you love me, if you have a passion for me, you will what? You'll serve me. No, he says literally. He says you're going to serve me. He says the Lord your God to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you love God with all your heart and all your soul, you're going to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you get it? I mean, I asked the kids on Wednesday night, for those that were here for the, the, the thing, I asked the kids when I taught, how do you know? I told Brianna, you know, I, that Brianna's one of the girls we pick up on the, on the bus. I said, I love, I love Brianna. And everyone's like, ah. Oh. I said, no, I don't mean goosey-goosey, love, love, love. I'm talking about biblical love. I love Brianna. Brianna, how do you know I love you? How do you know that I love you? What did I say, Carly Ann? Do you remember? I said, pick her up on the bus. On, on, my, on the bus. That's not a bus. It's my van. It's my family vehicle. Anyways, <laughs> I pick her up every Wednesday night so she can come to church. Do you get it? I serve her. That's exactly right. If we love somebody, we will be willing to what? Serve them. God calls upon us to serve him. To serve him. 1 Corinthians 7 says, but I, and we remember if you were here in Sunday school, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning of the chapter with fasting. This is later on in the chapter. It says, but I want you to be without care or anxiety. He who is unmarried cares or is anxious for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. That means an unmarried girl. Um, the unmarried woman carries about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, I won't ask how this, def you know, I, I, I've got the out, right? Because I'm married. So, so clearly I have an excuse for my distractions, right? So I won't ask you all who are single how this matches up with, with whether you're distracted or not, okay? Verse 35, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may what? Serve the Lord without distraction. We talked this morning about fasting, and how many people say, well, fasting is not a New Testament principle. They just don't know the Word of God. Okay? Fasting is in the New Testament, and it's taken as an assumption that people were fasting. And people were praying that there didn't have to be all this ardent teaching on it because it was a part of who they were. There's not a lot of times if you do a search for serve the Lord in the New Testament, you're not going to find many instances. Do you know why? Because read this. What is Paul assuming all the way through here? They want to. They want to serve the Lord. But when you get married, all of a sudden you're what? You become distracted. Because honestly, and I tell this to the woman woman, you have great power. You make or break the man in his ministry for the Lord. Now, understand, he has to have a desire for it. Okay, so if you're married to a sluggard who does has no desire for God, then there's nothing you can do about that. Okay, so guys, don't be a sluggard. Okay, now, assuming that you have a, a man who's on fire for the Lord and wants to serve the Lord, 
you can either yank him down or you can propel him forward into that. Because honestly, to serve the Lord means what? He has to give up time. And more than likely, giving up the time, he's going to give up what? Money. And if you got, don't have a whole lot of time, you don't have a whole lot of money, which means you don't have a whole lot of what? The things that the world's going to offer. Because you're not going to buy all the things that are out there, and you're not going to go to all the things that the world wants you to do. Because you find a greater priority for the use of your funds and the use of your time. But a woman, in the same way, a woman can be distracted because now all of a sudden the husband, who doesn't have a focus on the Lord, he, he wants what? He wants all her devotion. He wants all of her time. No, you've got to focus on me. You're my woman. Shame on you if you do that. I belong to the Lord first of all, to my wife second of all. I honestly believe that Marcia belongs to the Lord first of all, and to me second of all. If God would have her to serve, like CEF, I'm not going to hold her back in that. And I'm going to support her in whatever it takes to do it. Why? Because God's using her to serve him for his kingdom and glory and for the betterment of hundreds of kids. Why would I seek to stand in the way of that? Well, dinner's not going to be ready when I, when I get home. Well, what, what about the kids in their, in their teaching, in their education? Well, what about, well, what about, well, what about? We put wrong priorities on stuff. The things of the world are so important to us. Really, where are they going to be when you die? No place. Aren't you glad that Jesus, in the end, didn't say, you know what, these guys are a bunch of schmucks. That's a Jewish word. And, um, and, and I know that these guys aren't going to love me. And so why should I love them? Why should I put out for them when they're not going to put out for me? Well, okay, there's going to be one or two, so maybe I'll die for those guys. It didn't happen that way. While we were still at enmity with God... He loved me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Do you get it? God says our passion for him will be revealed in a passion for his work. Colossians 3, bondservants, bondservants, bondservants. Now, this doesn't apply to any of us because we're not bondservants anymore, right? Yes, you are. If you're not the master, you're the bondservant. Okay? If you don't own the company, you work for somebody who owns the company. And you may have the privilege in this, in this society to change your masters or go become a master someplace. But as long as you agree to work for somebody else, you are their what? You're their bond servant. You're their bond slave. So it says, bond servant, obey in all things your masters according to your flesh. That means your boss man or boss lady. Okay? If you're working for them, you do what? You obey them. Why? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God in whatever you do, do it with passion. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, honestly, when you're out there digging a ditch, and I don't think any of you necessarily are ditch diggers, but you understand where I'm getting at. When you're digging that ditch, do you see yourself as digging a ditch for Jesus Christ? That's what you ought to do. I, I, when I go and, I, and I'm working on somebody's house, if I'm in their bathroom, I, my, our motto is um, performing our work to the glory of God. I want to recall while I'm doing this that I'm doing it as unto the Lord and I'm not doing it for this person. This person may stiff me, but God gave me the work to do and I'm doing it for his glory regardless of what I think about this person. I don't like this person's attitude, so you know what? I really don't care what the, uh, the, the grout line looks like. Well, that's a really godly attitude, isn't it? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat your grout line like that? The grout line of your life, you know? This guy's really, he's got an issue with me, so therefore, see if I do a good job for him. I don't care if he's got cracks. Let the water leak. Let the water leak, man. But whatever you do, you do it heartily to the Lord, because ultimately you are serving the Lord. If you have a passion 
for God. It will be revealed in your passion for his word and a passion for his work. Now, that's the expression of our passion for God. Secondly, we want to look at the source of our passion for God. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, isn't this kind of fun? We're in Deuteronomy. I mean, what a New Testament message. The, the word of God is what? It's powerful, it's sharper, it's consistent. It's consistent. The new covenant is built upon the foundation of the old covenant. And hopefully you're seeing that. That the things I'm sharing from Deuteronomy are what? Supported and corroborated in the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning of verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord Yahweh your God require of you? But to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now this is interesting. This is the third time within a few little area that he's telling us to do what? To love him. And to keep the commandments of Yahweh and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens, I love that, the heaven and the highest heavens belong to Yahweh your God, also the earth with all that is in it. Yahweh delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples. Go figure. I also want to put that in parentheses. Go figure. You know, think about the, the, the Jews there. As it is this day, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff no, no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, why does God say that they should be loving God? We're having a passion for him. That you should love him with all their heart and soul and mind. And strength. Because he chose them. And so we read in 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. It's no difference. Why should Israel serve the Lord? Why should they love the Lord? Why should they put everything out for him? Because he already did for them. Because he's the God. And he's the God who chose them. He could have chose Egypt. Think about it. He could have came down. He could have chose Egypt. They were already powerful. It's easy, isn't it? And then what would they have done the rest of their lives? They'd have been served in the Egyptians. But God says, no, I chose you. I chose your fathers. Think about this. I chose your fathers. And you are just what? You're reaping the rewards of it. And you ought to love me in return. You ought to love me in return. Well, what's the, uh, what's the results of it? What's the consequences of having a passion for God? Well, Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's pretty good right off the bat, right? If I, if I have a passion for God, if I'm really passionate about him, what's he going to do? He's going to give me the desires of my heart. Why? Because if I'm passionate about him, what are the desires of my heart? His work. Things that are consistent with his work and his word. And so I can be assured that if I've got a passion for God, I'm going to get my prayers answered. So you want to be a man who has many answered prayers? You know, the, the, I always love this part because we, we miss this part of it. But the effectual fervent prayer of a... <clears throat> it feels much. Effectual fervent prayer avails much. You know? No, that's not what it says. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And what's a righteous man? What's righteousness? That which is right according to God. And so a righteous person is one who is walking in the right things of God. So you want to have effectual fervent prayer? Be a man who's what? Walking in the right things of God. Now, okay, so let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Now, we're getting to the end now of the book of Deuteronomy. We haven't read all these, but in chapter 27 and chapter 28, um, they go to the two mountains, and, and, and they're, he's, gonna, he's telling them that you're going to do this. When you go in there, I want you to do this. I want you to, half of you to go to this mountain, half of you go to this mountain, and half of you are going to proclaim curses, and half of you are going to proclaim blessings. Okay? And, and then he goes on and says what this is going to be. But in chapter 28, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I, I would, um, but for sake of time, we're not going to do it. You can see it's 68 verses. It's a great chapter. Um, this whole chapter 27 to chapter 30 is just really good stuff. Um, 
we don't like it a whole lot, but it really is good stuff. But beginning chapter 28, look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that Yahweh your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I'm, I'm taking this all in context, remember? Because this is all one thing. He didn't just say things and then go away and come back and give something. These aren't just proverbs, generic proverbs that are kind of sporadic and miscellaneous. This is all one message tied together, okay, in Deuteronomy. And so Moses has already declared a couple times that if you have a passion from God, you're going to have a passion for his work. If you love God, you're going to want to serve him. Okay? So I'm bringing the context here. I'm understanding context. Okay? And so when it says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice. If you diligently obey. I'm reading into that now. And I'm being honest with you. I'm going to read into that. If you what? If you've got a passion for God. And you're what? Obeying his voice. You hear his voice. There are two, in the Greek, now I understand I'm jumping Greek from Hebrew here. But in the Greek, there are two primary words for obeying or submission. There's the word hupakuo and hupatasso. Hupatasso means to be under the authority of. Hupakuo means to be under the hearing of. Hupatasso is what a wife should do to a husband. She chooses to come under the authority of. Hupakuo is instant, first-time obedience. It's what I expect my children to have, because God expects me to have it. That means I hear his voice and I what? I obey. I don't question it. I don't think about it. I don't decide whether I know a little bit better than he does. Dad said, jump. I say, how high? Okay, it's a military thing. I understand. Okay, but it's a fact. I'm running out the front door. Dad says, stop. I what? I stop. I don't keep running because Dad doesn't understand what I'm running for. And then the, then the, 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 the pit bull that was from the neighbors down the street that's been let loose in the, in the front yard kills me. Do you understand? I didn't, but I didn't know. It doesn't matter. You were under the hupokuo. You were under obedience. You were supposed to be what? First time obedience. Okay? That's what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Children what? Obey. Children, obey your parents and Lord. For this is right. It doesn't say if you choose to. It doesn't mean if you just like to. It says you do it. And God says the same thing to them. He says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. When you hear it, you do it. That you're going to receive all these blessings. But now drop down to verse 47, where he gets into the curses. Starting in verse 15, he starts talking about curses on disobedience. And he sums it up here in verse 47. He says, because you did not serve... The Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will, Yahweh will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. God says, Look, do you see what he says? Because you did not serve what? No, not, not just because you didn't serve God. Read what he says. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. You didn't want to. You may have obeyed the letter of the law, but it wasn't in your heart to do so. You're, you're sitting down, but you're standing on the inside. Do you get it? You may have done what was right by the letter of the law, but in your heart, it's wickedness. And God says, I am the what? I'm the one who gives a thought... Is it a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart? I know that says the word of God is that. I think Jesus is the word of God, and so I think God is that. God is the one who is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart, and he's the one who's going to flay me wide open one day. It probably does. I mean, I know, I mean, this week already, I, I was honest with Andrew, I, God gave me a dream th- this week, and uh, you don't need to write it in your Bible, and I'm not going to tell you all the details. He just let me know in my dream I was wrong in something I did this week. And I had to go back to Andrew and apologize and to confess to him that God spanked me in one of my dreams. Okay? I mean, I, I tell you that, right? I mean, I'm honest. I, I tell you, God will spank you. God will spank you. And I woke up from a dream, and I knew there was no doubt in my mind I was being spanked in that dream. Okay? And, and so I went back to Andrew, and I said, Andrew, 
you know, or not, <laughs> I didn't wake him up. I waited the next morning. I was trying to debate, God, help me forget this before the morning, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I remembered it, and he came out, and somebody else was there, and I thought, well, it's okay. I'm still going to share it. And so I shared. You know, remember, buddy, how I tell you in church sometimes, I tell the people how God spanks me? Well, guess what? He spanked me about something about you. And so, you know, yada, 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 yada. And, will you for, and asked him, I said, will you forgive me? And so he did. So we're buddies. Um, but the, the point is, I could have debated that one with God. Do you understand? But it was his voice. There was no doubt. And so, I want to be a person, and I'm not saying I'm faithful to this, but I want to be a person who does what? Obeys from the heart right away. Well, in Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7, turn with me there. This is the last passage we'll turn to. Revelation 2. And I feel okay, because I warned you about all this. So, And just think, this is just the first half of the message. I could have said, and after dinner we'll, we'll join for the second, but I thought I might be the only one. So, Revelation 2, beginning at verse 1. I, I go to this passage a lot. Maybe it's just because God uses it to spank me so much, okay? And so, sorry, you get to, to enjoy my spankings too. Um, to the angel, the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars, and you have persevered, and have had patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Stop. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love it if God, I mean, if God, God sent them, you know, just, just a little angel. It doesn't have to be Gabriel. It doesn't have to be Michael. It could have been one of the lesser angels. You know, that's all right. You know, and, and, and he said to you, hey, man, God wanted me to come to you and just let you know that you're awesome, buddy. You are, you are, you are, you're the man. I mean, he knows how much you, you, you're working for him, how much you're persevering, how patient you are, your labors. Man, you are the guy. I know, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit here. I embellished myself. Anyways, and so I think of that, and I think, wow, that'd be really kind of cool, but he didn't stop there. He says, nevertheless, I have what? I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, change the way you think, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. God says, I know your works. Remember what he said to Israel? You didn't serve me with what? Joy of heart. You were going through the motions. You were punching the tickets. And he says the same thing to the church. At least the church of Ephesus. I think it's symbolic of many churches today. And maybe many of us, we are the temple of God ourselves. And so I ask you, the same thing that he is asking them, are you just going through the motions? God wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. With all your strength. He ought to be your passion. Not all these other things we throw in that are frivolous and temporary. And meaningless. So, what is your greatest passion? What's that which evokes your strongest emotions? What do you what do you what do you talk about passionately? I mean, you may not be a person of many words, but you bring up a certain subject and boy, you'll talk all about it. What is it? What is the thing that you want to talk about all the time? Do you truly love God with all your heart, soul? mind? Or are you just going through the motions? As he knew the heart of the Ephesians, so he knows the hearts of the Augustans. Yes? Sometimes it's easy for us to say, oh, that was them. No, that's us too. And just like he knew the hearts of the Israelites, and just like he knew the hearts of the Ephesians, he knows my heart. And he knows when I'm just playing the game. When I'm just going through emotions. Our passion for God should be reflective of Christ's passion for his Father and responsive to the Father's love for us. 
If people were to look at me in my life, would they see someone who desires to reflect Christ and glorify God because of what he's done in my life? And finally, as we participate in a remembrance of this, his great love for us, we must each ask the question, do I need to repent and to return to my first love and passion? We're getting ready to participate in communion. A remembrance of what Christ has done for us. A remembrance of Christ's great passion for his Father. Do you understand? It's not just for us. We'll talk about that next week. But this is all about Christ submitting to the work of the Father, which he knew about from all of eternity past. And when we participate in it, we say that we are having fellowship with him. And we're having fellowship with one another. So where are you? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that some are eating and drinking unworthily. And for this reason, some are sick and some are even dying. Again, I believe the word of God is true. And though I can't tell you and parse it out how God's going to work that in your life, I believe God can. And God is the one who's a discerner in the thoughts and the tents of our hearts. And so I take, take some time right now to, to go to the Lord in prayer.